Several years ago, I was in Sacramento, California, the state capital of California. In fact, I was exploring with some friends of mine. We were exploring the grounds of the state capital. It's a beautiful building, amazing architecture, and the, uh, the plants and the, the work that they've done, the topiary work they've done around the building is just absolutely breathtaking. While we were there exploring, suddenly there was a lot of noise. We heard shouting, we heard music, we heard trumpets, and we heard, we heard drums, and we looked. And there was a parade that was moving in front of us. It was one float and several people following, and they were all making noise. They were waving flowers. They were having a wonderful time. I remember the float had a giant head on it, and I had no idea whose head it was. And so while they went by us, we spoke to one of the policemen who was blocking traffic for them. And we said, excuse me, what, what is this? And it turned out it was a festival. It was a parade for a particular saint that, uh, that, they, were, uh, that they were honoring that day. A saint I hadn't actually heard of. I wasn't familiar with this festival. But for those in attendance, this meant everything. For me as, a law, as an onlooker, it, it meant nothing. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and Mark 11 tells the story of a parade. We call it the triumphal entry. We mark it with today, with Palm Sunday. And for those in attendance of that parade in Jerusalem all those years ago, it was the beginning of the Passover. Jews from all over had come back to Jerusalem for the festival, for the sacrifices. They were arriving in town by families, by communities, all of them accompanied by their preachers, their, their rabbis. And as they came in, they would sing and they would celebrate. They would shout praise. They would make as much noise as possible. Everyone knew why they were there for that parade. Everyone knew what it was about. I wonder what the people around us make of Palm Sunday. I wonder if they even notice at all. Have they heard about Palm Sunday? Do they, do they see what we do? Do they know the songs that we sing for Palm Sunday? Do we know that we wave palm branches? Do we know that, uh, that we celebrate? Or to them, are we, just, are we just making noise? Do we connect with them in some way today? And more properly, does our faith connect with them? Do they see that we have something to celebrate, something to shout about, something that, that they might want as well? Here in Mark chapter 11, what starts out with the action of just a few of Jesus's followers, it soon becomes a parade that is witnessed by others and then others join into the celebration and pretty soon the whole crowd is involved. The way that the celebration spreads points to Jesus and it tells us something about him and it tells us something about the way that our faith spreads into the lives of others as we call others to join us, as we call them to the life-changing hope that can only be found in Jesus. It all begins very simply with a, and in a small way here in the way that Mark tells the story. And it can begin the same way in our story and begin the same way in our community. It all starts with Jesus calling us to obedience to him. The story simply begins with this call to obey Jesus. Verses 1 through 6 in Mark chapter 11. 
Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will enter it, and you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, well, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied to a, at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. I find it interesting that Mark doesn't tell us which disciples Jesus sent. He doesn't give us their names. He doesn't tell us who they were. I find that very interesting because, well, we would expect Mark to say, Jesus sent Peter and Andrew, and, and well, you know how loud Peter can get sometimes and how headstrong he is. Or we might say that Jesus, we might find Mark saying, well, Jesus sent James and John, you know, the sons of thunder, and they're powerful. Or maybe he sent Matthew because Matthew is a tax collector, maybe a bit of a negotiator, and maybe he could negotiate the release of the donkey. But he doesn't, he doesn't tell us who. These two disciples remain anonymous to this day. They were simply two people who were willing to do what Jesus asked. And you know, I think Mark does that on purpose. I think he does that so that you and I can put ourselves in these disciples' shoes or sandals, I suppose. We've probably thought to ourselves before, I could never be like Peter. I could never be that outspoken or I could never be like John. I could never be that fiery or, or even that loving as we see John later. Mark is showing us that anyone can do what Jesus asks if we trust Him, if we offer Him our obedience. There might be times when you and I think that Jesus is asking too much of us. There might be times when, when a preacher has made obeying Jesus seem difficult. I think preachers do that every now and then, or maybe even impossible. But here He simply asks, and they go and they do what Jesus asks. And we come to the realization, you know, we could do that. A couple of weeks ago, one of the ladies in our church uh, presented a need that we have, one that I shared with you earlier this morning. We needed someone to take over the work of uh, getting the Operation Christmas Child Ministry organized. And two ladies in our church, Carol and Linda, they both spoke up and they said, we can do that. We can do that, and, and they've run with it, and it's been absolutely wonderful. I, I love when we get that kind of response to the help that we need here. When someone simply says, here I am, you know, let me help, let me be of service, and they give themselves over to Jesus' call to obedience. One of the things I, I find interesting also in this story is that these two disciples, they didn't ask why? <laughs> they didn't ask why. I, I think I would have asked why. You think about it. Jesus tells them to go into town. You're going to find a donkey. Untie the donkey and bring it to me. Ah, uh, why? <laughs> why do we need a donkey, Jesus? What are we going to do? They didn't know about the parade yet. They didn't know about the triumphal entry. They didn't know that they would be shouting and celebrating as Jesus entered riding that donkey. Jesus simply told them something he needed them to do, 
And they responded with obedience. You know, sometimes I think our whys, the whys that we ask, I think the whys are more about us than about what God is asking of us. I think our whys point to ourselves and they're there to say, why me? Why would you want me to serve? Why would anyone need me? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what a mess I am? Do you know what I've, uh, how I've complicated my life and made a mess of everything? Our whys aren't because we don't believe in Jesus. Our whys are there often because we don't believe in ourselves. But trust me, if Jesus could use a donkey that day, He can use me. And He can probably use you. He can definitely use you also. Jesus calls two disciples to obedience And they give themselves to Jesus. And from there, more people are impacted by their obedience. And we see that obedience leads to hope. It's not just that Jesus calls these disciples to obey Him. That's all there is to it. The obedience leads to something greater, something bigger than them, just the, something bigger than just the two of them. And the same is true when you and I offer Jesus our obedience. When we commit to Him soon, we see blessings that go beyond just what we can do. We read on in verse 7, And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and He sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. These two are obedient. They go and get the donkey, and they bring the donkey to Jesus. But I want you to notice, he didn't tell anyone else. He didn't tell anyone to spread their cloaks on the ground. He didn't tell anyone to cut down the palm branches, the leafy branches, and throw them down. They they simply did it. Jesus didn't pass out song lyric sheets. He didn't pass out song sheets and say, okay, when I walk in or when I ride in through the gates in Jerusalem, these are the songs that you're going to sing. This is what you're going to shout. They, They simply did it. Because it wasn't an expression of their obedience. It was an expression of their hope. You see, the word Hosanna, maybe hopefully you recognize the word Hosanna. We've sang it in one of the songs that we shared with you this morning. That word Hosanna, you may recognize it from the Bible. It's not an English word, Hosanna. It's, a, it's in fact a very old Hebrew word. In fact, it's so old, I'm not sure anyone in that crowd that day knew what Hosanna actually meant. Originally, the word Hosanna meant save, save me. If you were in a boat and you fell out the side and you were going to drown, you would shout Hosanna, Hosanna. And that meant that you needed someone to save you. But over time, the word changed. And instead of being a cry of desperation, Hosanna became a shout of praise. Not just that you needed saving, but that you had a Savior. 
Psalm 18, I read earlier this morning, Psalm 18, verses 25 and 26 say, Save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You recognize those words from the words that the crowds were shouting as Jesus entered. By shouting Hosanna, they were calling the crowd's attention to Jesus and telling them that this man is special, this man is is the Savior. I would say that most people in the crowd that day had no idea who Jesus was, but they heard what his followers were shouting. They heard the cries of Hosanna, save, and they were saying to themselves, I want some of that too. I need that also. You know, I bet many people around us They don't know what we're shouting about half the time either. They don't know what our faith is all about. They've heard of Jesus. They've heard his name. uh, But what do they know of what he offers? What do they know of why we follow him? But you see, hope, hope is contagious. We see that in, in this story. Hope is contagious and your hope, your hope is contagious. And as they see you, as they hear you, as they get to know you, they can know your hope as well. And that hope is expressed in the praise the people witnessed that day, the praise that the people joined in with that day. And what we see in that story is something that we can see in our own lives and and in our own community. And that is that praise points to the promise that we find only in Jesus. We often think of of this parade in Jerusalem that day as centering in on Jesus alone, and actually that's not the case. I mentioned earlier that whole communities were entering Jerusalem that day. They were coming in with their own teachers, their own rabbis. Jesus was just one of many rabbis there in the crowds as they shouted praise, but the difference is in what they shouted about Jesus. Because what they shouted about Jesus, they didn't shout about any of the other teachers, any of the other rabbis. Verse 10, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. There's only one king. There's only one Messiah. There's only one Savior. Their praises pointed to Jesus, to what he could offer that no one else could to the promise that he had the promise of something new the promise of a new kingdom that was coming a new reign not a reign of oppression like the romans had not a reign of failure that the jews had had but that the king was coming and with him his kingdom was coming and they praised him in the highest and they placed their focus completely on jesus you see that's that's what praise does And we need to remember that. They didn't put their focus on their obedience. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if they'd put their focus on their obedience? Can you imagine if the crowds had said, or the disciples had said to the crowd, now listen up, everyone who wants to follow Jesus, everyone who wants him to be your savior, divide up in two by two and everybody go get a donkey. (laughs) They didn't tell them. uh, They didn't call them to their obedience. Now they... They reached the people around them by lifting Jesus up, by making him known, and by telling them exactly who he was and what he promised. 
and saying, He will save you. And you know, that's still his call today. That's why we celebrate this parade. That's why we remember Palm Sunday. That's what it's all about. That Jesus is our Savior, that he can save you as well. It's been a very long year for us, hasn't it? And we're very aware of what we can't do. And you know, through the course of this year, it's been real easy for us to grow stagnant, to kind of stay in one place, to focus on what's wrong in our world and what's wrong with us, to focus on what we can't do, what we can't be and where we can't go. But the call of Palm Sunday is for us to look to Jesus, to see the hope that he offers and to sing the praises that he alone deserves. And what if, what if today Jesus is calling you to simply step out in obedience to him and do one thing, <laughs> meet one person's need, do one act of kindness, have one conversation with someone, offer one prayer, but also to reach out to that one person with the hope that you have in Jesus. And what if that hope is contagious? What if they have hope because you have hope? What if that hope becomes praise? That's what happened when two unnamed disciples said yes to Jesus and obeyed him. A whole city was turned upside down by the end of that day. They all sang praises. What happens when you say yes to Jesus? What happens when you say, I can do that, or we, we can do that. I can't imagine the hope that that would fill someone with. I can't imagine the hope that they would have, the way that a person could find their own Savior, just like you've found yours. The triumphal entry shows us just how much Jesus wants to encounter us, how he's willing to enter through the gates, how he's willing to enter into our world, into our lives, and into our hearts. And as we come to our time of communion this morning, we remember the price that he paid for our sin, but we also remember his promise, his promise to be with us, his promise to be here, and we need that promise for the struggles that we face, for the hurts that we have, and for the hopes that we hold on to. And someone you know needs that promise as well. That's why you're in their life. Let's take a moment and pray as we prepare our hearts for communion. Father, we come to you. We come to share the, the bread. We come to share the cup. We come to remember the extent that you went to to know us, to come into our world, to enter in and be a part of us. Father, someone in our life today needs that kind of hope. And Father, it might take one of us, two of us, just a few of us going to them and sharing the hope that we have in Jesus, to be obedient to share and allow them to hear the praise that we have for your Son. Father, we thank you for encountering us today. We thank you for the promise that we have through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hey.
Happy Palm Sunday. Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless. Go in peace.